0: I'm Claire Edwards from Brain Smart People Development, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you an insightful conversation where, in all honesty, I found it a challenge to stay on track with our leadership topic because my guest was a master at his topic. What ensued, though, was a fascinating insight into the world of high performance in sport, club culture, and eventually, an exploration of our critically important leadership topic. Enjoy! My first encounter with Matt Cameron was a Zoom meeting to prepare for a leadership event that we were both involved in, and we wanted to make sure that our messages aligned. And knowing how busy Matt was, it was just before Christmas, um, I was expecting like a quick 15-minute check-in. But instead, Matt spent nearly an hour with me, and it was then that I knew that I'd finally secured a guest for a leadership topic that i have been wanting to talk about for a long time. Now, given what I've just shared, you could think maybe it's generosity. But it's not. So today, I'm going to be in conversation with Matthew Cameron, rugby league CEO of the Penrith Panthers on the essence of humility in leadership. So before I bring Matt in, for anyone who um, doesn't know much about rugby league or for our overseas listeners, the Penrith Panthers are a professional rugby league team based in Western Sydney. And they've been on an incredible journey over the past few years, coming from behind to win the grand final in 2021 and 2022. And I'm sure Matt will share some of their other wins, including off the field. So, Matthew Cameron, a very warm welcome to Authentic Leadership.
1: Hello, Claire. Thanks for having me.
0: I've been trying to get you on this for so long. I've been almost stalking you. And I'm not sure if it's to do with your role and how busy you are or your reluctance to actually talk about humility. But in any case, in any case, we're here. So, Listen before we delve into, I suppose, why humility is such an important trait in leadership. Can you share with us a little bit about about your career journey and how you came to work in rugby league? Because I'm assuming you haven't been in rugby league all your life.
1: Nah, correct, correct, and um, yeah, I sort of tumbled into it in some ways. Uh, I was a school teacher for a long time before I sort of got into professional sports. Uh, went to school, actually went to school at a Catholic school in Western Sydney that was mm-hmm. run by the Patrician Brothers at that point in time and then uh, went on to university and studied teaching and came back and actually took a job at the same school. Or oh. school. Um, I can still remember the interview, the, the principal that was there when I was uh, at school interviewed me and the mm-hmm. first question he asked was had nothing to do with the interview. It was about how's mum and dad <laughs> How, how's your older brother and, you know, those type of things and the... And the the head of the department that interviewed me was the head of the department when I was a kid so it was it was a very you know uh, relaxed I suppose environment to go to that
0: was a bit of a spin out though
1: oh uh, it was it was uh yeah it was I was there I had all these you know like standard interview question responses ready to go and first question how the blocks burn and wanted to know how mum and dad were and <laughs> how's how's life in tune gabby and all those sorts of things so, um so it was good I, I taught I was of Blacktown for 18 years.
0: Mm -hmm. um, And can I uh, I just ask, Matt, what what subject did you teach?
1: uh, Industrial arts, woodwork predominantly. Ah,
0: okay.
1: And then then branched into a little bit of, uh, at that point in time in the syllabus, there was a a course called Sport, Lifestyle and Recreation, and the school Mm -hmm. had a very big rugby league program. So we had uh, a lot of the boys that were there playing rugby league um, sort of siphoned into one class where they could, study the syllabus, but we just made some of the classwork and some of the assessment tasks a little bit more rugby league orientated than, than pure sports specific. So, so I did that for 18 years. Um, during that time, I got involved with the Parramatta Eels just on the side a little bit just as a sports trainer. Uh, and that, ah. that morphed into a little bit of coaching and then I was coaching the school team uh, and then had the opportunity in 2005 – 2006, sorry, uh, one of the coaches at – the Eels at that point in time, Peter Sharp had accepted a job in the Super League in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Smith, the head coach at the time, offered me uh, the rest of the season, it was Easter, and he said, do you want to come in and do the rest of the season? And that was the 2006 season, and they'd sort of started, no a bit scratchy when they started, so they were under pressure a little bit. They went to the boss at that point in time, and, and asked him if I could have two terms off. I had a had 20-odd weeks of long service up my the sleeve. So. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, jumped in uh, and loved it, fell in love with it and coached professionally uh, in the role of assistant NRL, assistant NRL coach at the Eels through to about 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'd gone through, you know, a couple of coaches at that point in time. And I I probably realised that, like, I couldn't go any further with what I was trying to establish there. Mm-hmm. Um, and simultaneously uh, Phil Gould had come out to Penrith. Uh, Penrith were going through a bit of a transition at that point in time and... Through a third party, I had a couple of conversations with the club and ended up coming out here in the role of high performance manager. Which, And it was more about just aligning all their pathways programs, uh, just getting everything under the NRL lined up. And at that point in time, Ivan Cleary was head coach. um, Yeah, He'd come in in that 2012 season. Uh, So I spent uh, three years doing that. Um, Obviously, Ivan transitioned away from the club at that point Uh in time. I went and spent a year doing something else. Um, and then came back to the club in 2016, and then came back in the you know similar role, and that sort of morphed into general manager rugby league, and then just through some staff changes here at the club um, about 18 months ago, that that role sort of turned into the of rugby league. I mean, we've got a group CEO Brian Fletcher, who you know he's he's incredibly busy, like managing the group, five licensed clubs. So um, so he he sort of does a lot of work with the group, yeah. and then and then I sort of looked after rugby league in conjunction with the head coach. So.
0: <laughs> I like that we're talking we're talking about humility and, and and just hearing your own words back well you know that role turned into the CEO not like you know and I was promoted to CEO um just to, just a quick question Matt from from what you're doing now um is there anything that you miss a, from your coaching days or are you able to utilize most of what you learned in your role now
1: well, coaching for me was an extension of teaching. Uh, yeah. I think it's like if you talk to people that are in sales, um, you know, I'm generalising, I'm sure people will go, that's, that's not actually correct. But I sort of feel, you know, selling a car or selling a house, I, I suppose the principles are the same. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, definitely coaching is an extension of teaching. And I actually do miss teaching. I miss, you know, the, the best part about teaching was for me was going to class and you know, all right, boys, get your jobs out and, and mm. sitting them down and actually showing them a skill and getting them to go away and try and replicate it. And if they could get it, great. If they couldn't, help them get it, type of thing. Mm. So, so that that part of it um, is very transferable into coaching. So I, I do miss that part. I do miss. Um, I don't miss being out on the field these days in the yes. this blistering sun in Penrith at forty degrees, at <laughs> two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. I, de- I definitely don't miss that. Um, and I, the hours are quite demanding from a coaching point of view. So that's that's sort of one part of it that uh, I really, you know, I give a lot of credit to the guys that are doing it in the business. Yeah. But I, but I miss, I suppose I just miss a little bit of interaction with students, with players. Uh, my, my job now, I, I feel like I've got the greatest job in the world because I can actually tell a young man that he's going to be a professional rugby league player, um, you know, once we make that decision internally. mm but, I feel sometimes I've also got the worst job in the world because at some point in time I'm going to have to tell that young man that he's either um, not good enough anymore or that we can't afford to keep him. Um, so it's quite a
0: paradox sometimes. How do you balance that? How, yeah, gosh, what do you draw on to have those conversations?
1: What i found teaching and what i found coaching and what I'm now finding, you know, from an administrative point of view, definitely from a teaching point of view, is students can sniff someone out straight away that is uh, not on task or getting done what needs to get done mm. you know, like the, the phrase I used to use with um, when I used to have prac teachers I'd say you know the kids can smell a fraud straight away mm. you if you're not prepared if you're not um, ready to go and and you don't have a level of care or caring like the, the students can sort of see that a mile away and and I think that's even more true in professional sports. And my, I never played at the elite level. So my, my history from a coaching point of view has always been around, you know, the players, they're not interested in how much you know, they're interested in how much you care. Yeah. Because um, it's about they're in the game for a very short period of time. Um, and, and they want to obviously achieve uh, um, goals that they set, you know, from probably from childhood, a lot of them. Mm. Um, and and I, my experience is when you can show a young man or a young woman um, and you can show them a pathway and you can show them how much you actually care about them achieving it, um, that is way more powerful than trying to show someone how smart you are or how much you know.
0: And I suppose that then leads into the topic of our conversation around, around humility. And just, I think, to... To clarify before we move on what, you know, what the, what the essence of humility is, what it is and what it isn't. So it's not about being subservient to, to other people, but it, it is about being of service. And, and that's what you were talking about, about caring and, and about having, I suppose, the self-awareness to know and acknowledge what, what your limitations are. And maybe, you know, surround yourself with people who are better than you. Um, would you agree with that, Matt? Is, is, that, is that a way that you work, or have you got your own definition?
1: Yeah, no, that, uh, you're on track there, 100%. Um, you know, in our business, even, you know, I'm sitting in my office this morning. You know, we've got a big rugby league program that's uh, obviously, you know, the focal point of that is the head coach and, and, the, and the first grade team or squad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, the business has a commercial division as well, which you know, like rugby league for us, is close to a forty million dollar a year business. Um, and I, I, you know, jokingly say quite often I'll have staff in my office and I'll just go, "I'm just a woodwork teacher." Someone explain to me how to do this. You know? <laughs> um, but 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 it's partly true. Like we, as yeah. I said, we've got a, a very big commercial division, and I don't ha- I don't come from a commercial background. I come from a coaching background, so. Um, you know, my expertise in the business at the moment is two things. It's one, running the salary cap and the contracting model for the club. Uh-huh. Um, but I say to people all the time, my, my job's to create an environment in the office where other people can flourish. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a marketer. I'm I'm not a membership expert. I'm not a sponsorship expert. Yeah. But I've and you've been through the office. Like I've got a team out there that are. In my opinion, world class. Um, I, I don't. I don't need to be a marketing expert because I've. I've got a team that can do that for, for me, and I. I feel like if I can provide an environment where I can support them to do uh, what they need to do, then everyone's going to benefit from that. So.
0: Absolutely, and yes, and and you know, and I. I, ju- I have to thank you because you invited me to watch preseason training, and I thought, okay, that's great. You know, I'll maybe have a bite to eat and watch preseason training, and actually, you you organized a whole day where i got to meet the team and i mean what i what i got from that just the the culture of care the culture of well-being mm. and i suppose a question that i wanted to ask is around humility i mean you, if we take the players for example you know that it's it, they're in the limelight, we know that they're well-paid, they're highly talented. Where does humility come into the culture of the Panthers?
1: Yeah, for sure. We When Ivan came back in 2019, uh, our that first season that he was back at the club, we didn't have a great year, finished outside the eight, um, and in that, off season, pre season, we we actually went on this adventure of uh, like obviously there's a book out there, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and, and we yeah. really we really dug into at the very start of it, like a level of vulnerability based trust because um, the organisation at that point in time was obviously a you know any any team in the NRL irrespective of where they're coming first or seventeenth at the moment, um, despite what the public and fans and people in the paper and media and that's in, every one of those clubs is a highly functioning. Organization because you just can't be in professional sports if you're not. um, Yeah, it it just functions at different levels. That's that's the difference between the you know the clubs at the moment that are being very successful at the top and the clubs that aren't. It's it's just functions at different levels. That's all. But we went down this vulnerability based trust uh, path, um, and as you would know, uh, for that to have power in an organisation that's got to start with the biggest person in the room and mm. Ivan led it um, and he set the tone um, and because he was so open and honest and, you know, with his career and where he thought the team and the club was heading and, um, you know, his past history at the club, uh, it actually, you know, it, it gave permission for everyone else that was in the room at that point in time to, you know, speak openly and freely. And, and then and then, I suppose the other bit that we really addressed was the, you know, like there was a, there was a fear of conflict within the office. And I'm sure that happens in any professional organisation from time to time at differing levels. And I feel over that, over the journey, over that sort of, you know, 219, 220, we played in the 220 grand final and obviously successful in 21 to 22. A lot of what we've been able to achieve as an organisation started with that. Um, You know, we talk about, we talk about climbing Everest. You might have seen some particularly off the back of the 2021 success yeah. you know, references about everest and then we've got a little and i think i've shown it you've seen it before it's a little diagram and the, the thing we like about everest is it's a repeatable event um you know so for for us you know as an nrl organization you know season season after season after season are repeatable events so, but you know and you sort of if you get something wrong in one season and you don't quite achieve the outcome you're looking for you know you mm-hmm into it, address it, you know, improve it, and then try and repeat it again the next season. So so that, those two things have been the, the cornerstone of, of what we've been trying to do here over the yeah. last couple of years. And that has allowed us to get better in the wellbeing space, get better in the coaching space, um, get get better in the in the commercial side of the business, because, um, you know, one of the things you know when you when you touch on the culture of the organization one of the things i think we've been able to do really well is the whole business is aligned in terms of um, you know what we're trying to achieve first and foremost as a business but the way that we actually structure and run what exists under the NRL in terms of all our mm. pathways um, so all the you know like reserve grade the under 21s under 19s under 17s under 15s the girls programs all of those programs are actually delivered and coached pretty much in exactly the same way um so we've got this little pipeline of players coming into the system at a younger age we talk about the funnel they come in at the top and through good coaching good practice like when we get to the bottom you know there's a subset of that funnel that pop out the other uh, at the bottom end of it that we think are ready to ready to go first grade players. yeah
0: the in your true humble style, you're talking about everybody else, but I want to talk about you.
1: No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah. Yeah, I've said this to you before. I'm just a little cog in a big machine, simple as that.
0: But you're a little a little cog in a big machine. What happens when that little cog isn't working? The whole well, machine the whole machine doesn't work.
1: Uh, yes and no. Well, I'd like to think, you know, I've got this belief, uh, and I say to people, I love people to come through the office on a Monday and they shouldn't be able to tell whether we've won or lost on the because um, oh, uh-huh. I, I, I I have worked with coaches previously um, that, you know, like if you had a loss on the weekend and everyone lived on eggshells and, yeah um, you know, and and, and and I I don't want that. In, I don't want that environment in this office, yeah. you know. Like obviously when, and, and it's very easy for me to say that at the moment when you lose, you know, 11 games in three seasons over the last three years, you know, it's without getting too far ahead of ourselves. But I genuinely believe that, like I want people to get out of bed every morning and come to work,
0: yeah. wanting to come to
1: work because they enjoy doing their job. I couldn't think of anything worse than someone getting out of bed and loathing having to go and do do whatever they do during the day. I, I like that environment. I like,
0: yeah, and, and, it, and it's, it's palpable. I mean, you know, I, I was lucky enough to to be able to sit in one of the the team meetings and with sort of Ivan facilitating it rather than running it and then two of the players getting up and and leading leading the meeting so it's you know it's a culture of care it's a culture of well-being but i think it's also a culture of empowerment isn't it and i suppose one of the questions i wanted to ask related to that is and and let we'll we'll turn it over to the players rather than you Um, say you have a new player come in and there is a bit of ego there um, and a bit of a lack of humility how did the team work with that
1: yeah we've uh, we in in line with the other things that I touched on in terms of you know vulnerability based trust and uh, you know uh, trying to work through uh, not having a fear of conflict the other thing that I think we do really well is there's a really high level of peer-to-peer accountability yeah um, and you want to notice or maybe not you maybe would have not noticed as much that day but um, and we, we do a lot of storytelling as well and you know, we've spoken about this in the past that
0: yeah, you
1: know so that new player, I, I would like and we've got a couple of them this year, we've got four boys that are in the come into the full time squad this year from other clubs. Um, and I would like to think that the way that we introduce those players into the first grade squad um, sets a bit of a benchmark on our expectations, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um and I think when you're in the building, it's very clear to see what our culture is and what it, what it looks like, how it acts, how it feels when you're part of it. Yeah. Um, and then, then the icing on the cake for us. And, and, and you know, people have people have made a bit of a song and dance about it a couple of weeks ago with an incident that was captured after the game between Jane and Salmon and Jerome Luai. Yeah. Um, after the loss against the Broncos, I think the game was. Yeah. Um, was like that's peer-to-peer accountability you know at its highest level you know mm. it's just unfortunate it got captured on national <laughs> tv and people you know people wanted to talk about it for two days but that goes on in on the field you know 10 times a game every week um and it goes on within our business all day every day because we would like to think that you know if there's something that if there's something that's amiss or something that doesn't fit within our value system that you know we're going to address it we're not going to you know, people don't stand on the rooftop and call it out and those sorts of things, but um, we address it and I think we address it in a healthy way and um, and, and you would have seen it. Like when you, when you address it in that way, we have a level of comfort with our players um, where they are comfortable getting up in front of the group and talking about, you know... You would have seen a. I think the meeting you were in, they were just doing some prep for training, and you would have seen that the players that got up and spoke. It was about you know a level of uh, or, or a degree of accuracy that they wanted out of the session, yeah. You know, a level of intensity and and making sure that they were hitting the markers and those sorts of things. So
0: and and it's interesting because you've got you've got the peer to peer accountability, but what you haven't got what I saw was what I saw and what I experienced was a no blame culture. So and that's a fine line. So how how do you how do you achieve that balance between accountability and no blame? And I know this is a bit of a curveball because it wasn't a question that I was gonna ask you, but I'm really curious.
1: Yeah, yeah, no for sure. Well the I feel like it's taken us a while to get there. We're not perfect. That's the first thing I just want to point out to anyone that's listening to this. Like, mm-hmm. we, we are far from a perfect uh, organisation here. We're, we're striving every day to get better uh, in, in these spaces. And I, I feel that the culture that we've come from did have that element of blame to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, feel, I feel the environment that the head coach has created on the football side of the business allows players to be themselves. Um, and I feel like when you sort of wrap wrap all that up and put, put a bow around it, it, it's morphed from one to the other. Mm. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, the, the storytelling is probably a big part of it. We've, every morning we have a, a check-in meeting, players have a check-in meeting, um, and quite often at that check-in meeting, Kev Kingston, who's our wellbeing manager, you know, he'll get a player down and he'll he'll sort of delve into their... You know, their life, their past, their history, their playing career, if they've come from a different club, those sorts of things. And I, I think it really gives an insight, you know, and I feel I use those four players, those four new players that we've got this year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, within the space of the summer, the, you know, our pre-season, um, I think the rest of the group would have formed a, you know, they, they, they're just a the player that they've played against previously. But, you know, obviously coming in, um, listening to someone's story and, and some of them are so powerful. Yeah, um, it really changes perspectives within the group. You then interact and you relate to others on a, you know, a, a incredibly different level. I suppose when there are issues and the way that we address them, they then become issues that are addressed, you know, respectfully and in yeah. the right way. They they don't become, you know, um, people storming out of the dressing shed at the end of the day, getting in their car and you know and and leaving them unaddressed because I feel like. You know, we 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 don't have a fear of conflict in this building. So when yeah. there are issues, we you know we talk about them. We don't rant and rave about them, but we talk about them constructively. And 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 Ivan is a collaborator. He's he's interested in other people's opinions. Um, and I think when you sort of box all that up, that that's reflected in where we're at. You know, as an organization, forget the grand finals. You know, but that's just us as an organization. You know? mm. Like we could have we could have lost both those grand finals, and we we still be the same organisation I'd like to think
0: so yeah and and i think that the power of the storytelling to create that psychological safety because you've got such you know a, a diverse group of people coming together such different backgrounds to be able to come together and bring your whole self to work because it it, it is their job
1: quite and often, not quite be often. judged yeah, I quite often say to people, when we get it right, we're on the back page of the paper. When we get it wrong, we're on the front page of the paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's an incredible juggle for the for the coaches to be able to you know to manage that on a day to day basis. And, and I suppose from Ivan, you know, like Ivan's been responsible for a team, as are the rest of the coaches and the performance staff and everyone else involved in football. But but he's also responsible for a, for a staff on top of that. You know, so it's, I mean, yeah. I, I'm responsible for a staff on on the commercial side of the building. So it's. So it is a juggling act, but I'd like to think that we've, you know, and we we talk about that pyramid, we talk about that base, and I feel like we've got the base right. We're not yeah. perfect, but we've, we've, I think we've got it where we need to get it, and then we can we can address the pretty things on the top of it, you know. But, mm. but without the base, we're, everyone's just wasting their time. So.
0: Absolutely. So coming back to you,
1: <laughs> really me. <Right. laughs> The, the, um, little, the little cog in the big machine. Yes. So. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. The very important little cog in the big machine. I don't um, know about that. I mean, some the, you know, an element of humility, and you, and you have alluded to it already about you know acknowledging that you don't have all the answers. Can is is there an example that you can share where you were able to call on somebody else? You know, some somebody else came up with a great idea, or you were able to call on somebody else.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like we've, I suppose, in our business, um, and I suppose it's like any other business. You know, I can only compare. I was a teacher, and then I worked in football. So I've never worked in a bank. I've never worked in government. Any of those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. you know, you're you're right. There's always going to be there's always going to be smart people in the room, and like in in our business, uh, we're quite often interested in how other NRL clubs are doing things. Um, I'm not not to the point where if. One NRL club wants to jump off a cliff. We're all going to jump off a cliff. I'm not meaning it like that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know, we've we've got two people in, two women that have come into our business in the last eighteen months. Um, one in the merchandise area, and one in the membership area. And the one in the merchandise area has come from a massive merchandise sporting base. Um, you know, a national company. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we're just a little business. Like she's she's gone from. She came from being two IC in a business of fifty people to being her and one other girl. Wow! Um, and and the and the merchandise part of what NRL clubs do is very important to our business, but it's not our core business. So it's it's something that's you know quite often just gets bolted on to the side of what we're doing. And she's been able to come in and you know she challenged me on a number of things. And and the million dollar question all the time is why do you do it like that? <laughs> I go, well, that's that's a great question. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure. It's in part, I'm I'm sure it probably uh part of it is historical because that's you know, the amount of times people say, Well, that's the way we've always done it, you know. Mm. Um and I I was very um comfortable with her challenging me on well there's I think there's a better way to do it and and I was very as I said, I'm I'm a, a teacher that's managing a salary cap. I said to her, Well, show challenge me, you know. Yeah. Um and, and our merchandise program has, has tripled in the last three years. Um, so, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with people coming into our organisation from uh, from other areas or other clubs um, mm. that clearly, you know, do it better than we do it historically and, and picking up ideas and being challenged on those sorts of things and being shown a better way to do it. And I'm, I'm you know, I'll quite often say to them, you know, knock yourself out like you 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 show me the validity of what you want to do and the balance sheet that goes with it and I'll back you to the hill so
0: and and yeah i mean that that openness to feedback to new ideas it's so important you know it stimulates uh, innovation creativity and as you you just said the return on investment that you got from being open to that is, is significant. And actually on, on the theme of being open, when, when we met, we were talking about an open door policy. And, and in addition to being humble, you're extremely accessible. Um, how on earth do you balance your accessibility and your open door policy with everything that you need to achieve?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's funny you ask that question. Uh, one of the Girls in the office has just remodeled her office, and there's a spare couch, and we've actually put the couch outside my door. And it's the running, it's the running <laughs> joke. You can just take a, take a number and sit on the couch for a minute. So, um, oh, I just the open door policy actually comes from when I was teaching. Uh, as I said, I worked for the Patrician Brothers, and I had, mm-hmm. a, I had a principal who was my boss for pretty much the 17 of the 18 years that I taught. His name was uh, Patrick Lovegrove. And um, and he had an open door policy as a principal of the school, and you knew if the door was open, you could knock on the door and go in. And if and if the door was closed, clearly he was you know, dealing with an issue or a parent or a student and that sort of thing. So so I suppose I've carried that I've carried that with me. And it's like anything. Like I'll get a hundred phone calls a day, but they're, each one of them is forty five seconds long. And it's a little bit like when people come in. Like you know, you can solve their problem in thirty seconds, as opposed to you know, leaving the door closed or, or compounding it or, you know, making it two days later, that type of thing. Mm. Um, so I feel like, you know, and a, and a footy club is, you know, again, I'm sure it's like other businesses. It's a lot of what we do is like on the run. Um, you know, it's, it's always changing. There's always things going on. And I've, I've actually got a little bit of a habit. I try and get into the office and when I get in, I probably for half an hour, I try to see what emails are there. And I still use a paper diary. I've still got like a diary mm-hmm. open on my desk, and I, mm-hmm. I sit there and I make scribble notes of what I've got to try and do today. So a little bit of a to do list, um, like I, I and I am still like a put a line through that, highlight that what's important type of thing, and then it's yeah. almost it's almost like right out of the gates. Off we go. The day's on because um, the unfortunate thing in in football is the the afternoons tend to spiral sometimes, and it's because. You know, you might have a injury on the training field or you might have you know, a contract negotiation that finds its way into the newspapers or mm. those type of things. So, um, you know, for me, like I try and make all my meetings in the morning or I try and set anything that's like a fixed time, you know, definitely in the morning because like by 1 o'clock it's just some days just, yeah, you just can't rein it back in. Yeah. Um, but the open door thing and the accessibility thing, oh, I just think that's imperative to... And I've got a really young staff, you know. Like mm. I've, I've got a, you know, if I go out into the commercial office, the average age is probably somewhere between 25 and 30. Um, I would like to think that they are comfortable enough to just wander into my office yeah. and talk about whatever they want to talk about. You know, I, I don't even want to get to the point where, you know, they they uh, don't want to come and talk to me because they're uncomfortable in, in that respect. So,
0: you are still coaching, aren't you?
1: Yes, a little bit, a little
0: bit. <laughs> It's it's interesting. Just listening to you there, you, you I think you talk with, with fondness about the Patrician Brothers and Definitely. I'm curious about the trait of humility. Was that something that was taught to you? Was it something that just as a kid it was how you were? Was it the influence of your parents? Where where does it stem from, Matt?
1: Well, I think a lot of it, you know, you touched on the Patrician Brothers, a lot of it comes from there. You know i think back when i was a kid um you know me and mates like played cricket um you know one of the brothers would coach the cricket team and then mm-hmm. you sort of think you know well, i'm a 14 year old kid and he's this this bike's given up you know a couple of afternoons a week he's given up his Saturdays, driving kids backwards and forwards um you know and that the school that i went to and the school that i taught at is probably you know you could say is in the middle of a lower socio economic Area, I suppose, in Western Sydney, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose the Patrician brothers were always, uh, you know, they are found founded on education of the poor. Um, and I think back, not so much as a student, but definitely as a teacher. Like, you know, we had we had kids there that couldn't pay the school fees, but Dad was a bricklayer, and the brothers would go, "Well, we we need that brick wall out the front of the monastery repaired." So, ah. you know, how about you come in on Saturday and you fix that brick wall, and that'll take care of it first first half of you know joey's school for type of thing um and i can i can vividly remember having mums in the library covering books you know those type of things and and it was the brother's way of you know we want your son here and we want to give him the best education you can get and we're happy to find a way where everyone gets a win out of it um and even even at, at times, like obviously being a woodwork teacher and all of a sudden the window gets stuck in the monastery and one of the mm-hmm. brothers goes, oh, you know, can you come over and try and get that window open, you know, and, and when you would look around the monastery and it would be incredibly sparse, you know, and, and you'd think these are grown men that have given their whole life to, you know, education um, and, you know, a little black and white TV in the corner and, um, you know, their possessions, like their, their worldly possessions weren't great. Uh, but it was that sense of sacrifice that they would make, you know. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of that, like when I look back, like I probably didn't realise it at the time, but you know, when I look back at the at the level of sacrifice that those men made, not only from from a teaching point of view, but also like, you know, sport and extracurricular activities and those sorts of things. Um, I probably look back at that thing, yeah. Maybe that's where part of it came from. And obviously, you know, mum and dad as well, you know, I like to think of. Yes, everyone's a product of their environment. I had a great environment when (laughs) I grew up as a kid. So,
0: thank you for sharing that. That, That's really important. And so now that's got me thinking that, you know, that you had that influence, you had those role models both in that learning environment and probably your home environment as well. So if, um, if like Jim Collins who wrote Good to Great he talks about this level five leadership and level five leadership is personal humility. And, and I've I, I always find this hard to say an indomitable will. Mm. Um, so just, I'm just curious on your, I suppose on your point of view on this Matt is someone, you know, leaders coming up through the ranks who haven't had exposure like you had to that Sense of um, sacrifice or altruism or humility, do you think it can be learned? Is it a trait that can be learned?
1: Uh, I think so. Yeah. I I have a belief also that everyone should be being mentored by someone and everyone should be mentoring someone else. Yes. Um, And I, you know, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but I sort of look at my Professional career, and I've been lucky. I've I've had some great mentors from a coaching point of view, and you know, great mentors currently from an administrative point of view in the businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I suppose I I try and provide that opportunity for people in my office, and not not necessarily for every person in my office, but definitely for, you know for the middle managers. But yeah, I do. I, I think it, I think it can be. And life's different these days. Um, you know, anyone that's out there that's fifty plus. Clearly, you know, My running joke out there sometimes. I, we interview young people to come into my office, and I and I'm not like HR says I can't ask people how old they are, but when I actually work out how old they are, I, sometimes I go, you know, I've got t-shirts that are older than you. <laughs> um, so, but that's the yeah. I, I think if we can, yeah. And it comes down to people their willingness to give up time and energy as well, and take the yeah. time to talk to people and listen and. Um, I've got a great mate, Hayden Knowles, who's worked previously at the club. and I was talking to him yesterday and he was using an example. And he was at Golden State Warriors uh, last month and and he went over and he was talking to a lot of the coaches and uh, we talk about the fact that his favourite thing is talking to someone old in sport. And he said because the reality is once they're gone, all that IP goes with them.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and he said he. he he spent a week over there and he spent a couple of days with one of the assistant coaches and was the first assistant coach that Steve Kerr hired over there when he took the job. Mm-hmm. And he's 75 and he's coached in college, he's coached in NBA, he's, he's coached at all levels. But but it's a great example of, you know, we've, we've got a lot of great people um, yeah. in, in whatever walk of life, in whatever office that you walk into that have an incredible amount of IP and once that person's either um, departed the business or, or, you know, worst case passes away, like that IP goes with them. Mm. Um, so I feel, yeah, I, I feel it can be learned. I feel there's probably, you know, people we need to be making the effort to pass it on as well, not not be that keeper of the secrets person in the office.
0: So. And I think when I was speaking to some of the other team members, some of the other managers on the day that I was over there and, and you weren't around, the level of respect they have for you I think it's not just coaching that you do, but you it might just be forty-five seconds, but you're mentoring them as well, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it you know, honestly think it's part and parcel of the job, of the role. You yeah, know, there's a there's an expectation that you know, we we talk about future proofing here, you know, there's an expectation that when I'm not here, whoever takes my job, A should be ready to go and B, it should be seamless and, and I should leave the place in a better state than when I got here. Yeah. Um and, and we try and do that right across the business. It's the same with the playing group. You know, like the the retention of good players um, is underpinned by a pathway system, and our pathway system, I think, is the best pathway system in a rugby league. But it's all aimed at when we lose a player, and we've lost two players this year out of the top 30, um, mm-hmm. two two players that have won two back to back grand finals. But the reality for us is, if if our pathway system is working, or or our um, our model underneath is working, then we should be able to just Start to promote two players from within because we 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 have what we call a built from within philosophy. Yeah, um, and that that's not only in the rugby league part of it, but that's also in the commercial part. But I've got one of the one of the senior managers of it, within the organisation at the moment started here as an intern eight years ago, um, wow. and he, and he's been promoted and promoted and promoted from within inside the business. So I could go and get someone from outside the business, but I'm but I'm a big believer in you know building from within and 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 actually. When you do that when you're promoting people from within it's a hell of a lot easier to keep the business just chugging along because they know what the business looks like they mm-hmm. know what it feels like well, they know how it acts when, when they're when they're in there so.
0: and i think those this they're, they're so well defined those pathways that it's something that you know commercial businesses can learn from as well in terms of succession planning yeah. um i'm realizing the time and i know that you've got a meeting coming up so i've got um, well, yeah, you're one on, more qu-
1: Only sure? with, t- with the NRL about the CBA, and that's been you know, going on for twelve months. So, I'm <laughs> um, ten minutes late to that meeting. I don't think it's going to make a difference today. So,
0: oh, you're a star! Thanks, Matt. Uh, I wanted to ask, in terms of your own leadership traits and abilities and, and characteristics, or what have you, what do you still want to develop in yourself?
1: Um. I still feel, for me professionally, like I'd still like to be working on my, I don't have a fear of conflict, but dealing with conflict. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that's, you know, like my role in negotiating contracts with player managers and that that's one aspect of it. That's just, a, that's every day for me. It's, you know, I think, I think it's worth $10, I think it's worth $15, mm-hmm. you know, click hang the phone up i'm not talking to you for a week to, you know like it's those they don't they don't get that petty i don't mean it like that but yeah yeah but, there, but there's definitely conflict when I mean, you're talking about a young man and his future career earnings you know and you and you, you know you might be 100,000 dollars apart on a contract um you know so it's it's part of it's the part of it's the conflict part of it's the level of negotiation bringing it back mm. to a you know a mutually beneficial agreement for everyone but but when you've got 50 people working in an office like You're kidding yourself if there's not going to be some level of, and whether conflict's the right word or not, but there's always going to be some level of disagreement, some level of I think we should paint it blue or I think we should paint it black, Mm. you know, that type of thing. Um, So managing that uh, as a senior manager I think is imperative because it's like we've, we've done a really special thing here since 2019 you know obviously the club's been around for 50 odd years they've always Mm -hmm. been doing special things but you know in particular what ivan's done with the first grade program you know it's taken us four or five years to get to here it it literally could take four or five hours to to pull it to pieces yeah um and and that is a reality in professional sports as i said you know when we get it hopefully we get it right tomorrow night we're on the back page of friday's paper but Mm. you know when you get it horribly wrong in some aspects of the business you end up on the front page of the paper
0: Yeah, and you have you have a, an interesting relationship with the press, don't you? I uh,
1: yeah, it's it's part of the it's a necessary part of the business. Um, you know, they're doing their job. You know, mm. they're they're helping drive interest in the game. Obviously, you know, like broadcast revenues are massive for professional sports. Yeah, um, you know, and I and I think there's some great there's some great journalists out there. Uh, there really is, and 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 you know, when we're talking about the game positively. Um, I think everyone benefits from that. You know, unfortunately, the world we live in—you know—negative commentary draws clicks, and clicks draws mm-hmm. interest, and interest draws revenues, and you know, so it's the it's the fine line between the two. But you know, I'd like to think at the moment, you know, we're in a new season. The attendance numbers, from the NRL's point of view, are through the roof. You have got two teams that no one thought would be first and second in week three playing on Friday night nights.
0: Mm. So it's,
1: it's been positive. They're doing their job. The clubs are doing their job. You know, it's uh, and it's part of it's part of the business, and it's not going to go away. Um, And and we actually spend a lot of time with our players, you know, educating them at at a much younger age on you know how to have the positive relationship with the media, because you know a lot of the players, you know, they do perceive sometimes the media as as like in a negative way, I suppose. And we really encourage the. You know the, the journalists that you know. The club has a solid working relationship with. That, you know, but like we, we like when they write positive stories about the club. So, I think um, for
0: those for those people listening, I think to be. I mean, I was I was so lucky to have spent spent the day there, but I think to be able to get an insight into the culture of the club was the documentary that came out recently that yep. okay yes i'm biased i thought it was brilliant but it, it does show it, it you know it, it it shows elements of the culture that you can see and i'm just curious how did that how did that documentary come about
1: so when we obviously get to the back end of the season and we knew in advance that we were going to be in the semis obviously. Um, and we've got a great digital team here. We've got a couple of young videographers that are superb in what they do. And if anyone's hasn't seen the documentary, or you know, you don't have to go to the, our Instagram page as an example. Yeah, I'll put one, it on the show notes yeah, as well. The yeah. The quality of work that these young kids do. So, sorry, I could call them kids, but they're, you know, 20 <laughs> somethings. Um, so we started just recording like we normally do, like, and, but obviously it's a bigger game. So we probably recorded more and, you know, we got, captured a fair deal of the first week of the semifinals. And then well, we won that game. Well, let's just keep recording more and more. And then by the end of it, we actually had the whole four weeks. It was only three games, obviously, but the whole four weeks of the semi-final period and the grand final and in the sheds after the game and all that sort of stuff. And one of the videographers sort of started to splice it together with some game footage and, um, and it turned into this thing that we never originally thought it was going to be, um, bearing in mind... You know, we had support from Channel Nine when we we went to them to, you know, to air it because technically Channel Nine own the footage. You know, they own everything between the the whistles, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, so if you want to use that for commercial purposes or or for, you know, viewing purposes, like obviously we need um, permission from the broadcasters, which Channel Nine graciously gave us and worked with us to get it. To obviously there was the three part documentary that they put on nine now mm-hmm. and then there was the condensed version that they ran free to wear after the Broncos game, which was sort of I think the there's three forty five minutes on the yeah. website, but it's it was only seventy minutes on free to air. So um and we, and when we when we spoke to them originally they said, Oh, you know, did you have an intent to actually, you know, did you set out thinking we're gonna win it and we're gonna film it. And I said, mate, I've been working in football for twenty five <laughs> years. If if you think from day one we would that brazen that we were telling everyone that we were going to win the grand final, you're sadly mistaken. That's like it's a bit, it's a it's a bit like, you know, what are we going to do about grand final t shirts? We'll, we'll do that after we win the grand final, not, not, not we're before. I'm going
0: to get a it. tattoo.
1: Oh, well, you know, every now and again, you every now and again, you just in a in a NRL club, you will stumble across a box of t shirts that were pre printed, and <laughs> someone will go, they they never won that game. Okay, that's why they're in a box, gum. <laughs> i burn burning. Get rid of them quick. You know. So.
0: Oh dear.
1: Um, it's like because it, and it's funny. Like you know, years ago, you used to see teams all of a sudden they'd have a grand final t-shirt on ten minutes after full time. Mm. Uh, and we're we're very. oh, no, that no, you can't do that. Like that's yeah. just that's like uh, you're you're getting. If someone found out that we were getting that far ahead of ourselves, I'd, I'd hate the thing. I'd hate to be in that
0: position. Not very humble, is it?
1: <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's a bit. Uh, yes, definitely getting ahead of yourself. So. But, no, it's a great, great documentary. Um, it is. It's, it's you know, for the people who haven't seen it, it's, uh, you know, in dressing sheds, it's post-game celebrations. It's, you know, the, one, the highlight for me was the jersey presentation. You know, Ivan actually gets quite emotional a couple of times, you yeah. know, particularly, particularly with players that were leaving the club that year. And just the, that level of access is just, you, you just don't see it. It, it's oh, it's
0: unprecedented, shows. and the and and the themes as well, the the Top Gun theme. But we weren't going to talk about, we're not going to talk about that because people need to watch the documentary. It's of um... course,
1: of course, of course. And 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 you know, it's and it's such a little thing. But one of the one of the things that people have commented to me about is there's no language in
0: it. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and you know, one of our pillars is we want to be a source of community pride. So you know, we we want we want 10-year-olds watching that documentary and falling in love with the pen of panthers and the fact that across you know 130 odd minutes of footage you know there's no language in it i'm yeah. really proud of that so
0: yeah and and it didn't have to be have i didn't even have to be edited and no. and redacted in that way no. oh matt this i've just i've loved this conversation i think you know it, there's a, there's that lovely mix of humility and pride at the same time very proud,
1: of, very proud of what we do out here.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you're such a, what you see is what you get, leader. And I'm really grateful that I've I've I managed to stalk you down and uh, and get you get you to talk on the podcast. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled and very grateful.
1: We uh we've got a we've got a saying out here. The coach coach does the same thing. We, I think we do our best work in the shadows. So
0: yeah, oh what a great what a great thought to leave us with. Matt, thank you so much.
1: No, no worries. It's been been good. It's been interesting. I've never done one of these before, so it's it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I'll
0: be promoting the heck out of it in a few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, Matt. Go well.
1: All right. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Bye
0: Bye-bye. for listening and we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration that you were looking for authentic leadership is currently ranking fourth in the top 25 australian leadership podcasts we'd love you to help us get to number one and to get the key messages about modern day leadership out there and this is how you can help head over to apple itunes and do three quick things subscribe give us a positive rating and write a short review. Also, if you can follow us on Spotify and subscribe to the podcast on YouTube by visiting the At Being Brain Smart channel, we'd really appreciate it. And before you go, if you'd like to know what I do when I'm not interviewing amazing guests, I help people in business to lead better, work smarter, build great teams, and thrive in change. To find out more, head over to the BrainSmart website, that's brain-smart.com, to see examples of our programmes. Or email me, claire, that's C-L-A-R-E, at brain-smart.com. Go well, and thanks for listening.